Eve, would you like to come up and join us? Have a bar stool? Oh, I want to, and I might just put this off to one side. So, uh, Colin, Colin I'm, uh, in, you've been in New Zealand for how long now? Six months. Okay, we're going to take that, that dreadful risk. We're going to reveal where are you from? Newcastle in Australia. Well done for reporting. That's awesome. Thank um, you. I'm impressed. Uh, um, and I will confess too that uh, I, um, I was born in Australia, which I, I don't always wear on my sleeve in New Zealand. I'm, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why. Um, Steve, why, um, why have I asked you to come and talk about sport? What's your connection? Well, currently I'm in New Zealand uh, working with Canterbury Cricket. Oh, is, is your mic on? Let's have a look, see. Press that button. Okay, what we're going to do is do a quick swap. See, there's no batteries in this. I'll give you this. Can you use that? Okay. That'd be great. And we'll just whip this off your head oh, so you don't feel too. When these um, mics first <clears> came out, the only people who used them, were, uh, the first person to wear them was Madonna. And um, ministers felt really inhibited putting on a mic like this. You thought. Sorry, that's a sidetrack. That's really unhelpful. <laughs> Back to you. Sport. Canterbury I Cricket. I don't know where I'd take uh, Madonna and, Can and Canterbury Cricket. But as, uh, so I, I'm working for Canterbury Cricket in the last six months. Um, I've been the uh, wellbeing consultant uh, with Canterbury and um, doing some wellbeing work with the staff uh, and the players and their partners and the past players of Canterbury Cricket. So what's well-being and how did you end up with that? Yeah, excellent question. Well-being is something that ranges from hugging a tree and sniffing nice candles to having some sort of philosophical base. I would like to think that I'm at the philosophical, psychological base end of it where we, we look at people's ability to feel good and function well. Um, and I, I think Christians understand this implicitly, though we don't always live it. Um, because we understand that God made us for a purpose. And when we are working in that purpose, uh, we're in our sweet spot, as I like to call it. The, the people who don't necessarily have a Christian framework to work from still understand that. It's that moment when I'm doing the thing that I love to do and I'm naturally good at and time stands still and I can jump up from reading my book or playing my guitar or talking with friends over dinner and suddenly go, oh, wow, look at the time. It's three hours later than I thought it would be. That's, that's where you're operating in your sweet spot. And well-being, I think at its most philosophical and, and psychological base, looks to get people into that position, know why they get there, how they get there, and so build resilience and all that sort of thing as well. So um, whilst we do think trees are lovely, I don't get the Canterbury boys to rush out and hug a tree. I understand that. Though I would like them, in all seriousness, I would like them to hug each other because I think that would be really, really important. And I think touch is important. So whenever I meet the boys, uh, I shake their hands and I always make sure I, I touch them in some way on the shoulder, um, pat them on the back, because I think that's a really important part of our human connection. So in the church context, we often quote John, Jesus coming, that we might have life in abundance or life to the full. And, and you kind of recognise this, don't you? When you see somebody... And you think, yes, they're really alive, which is, I think, one of the things about sport. 
Oh, I totally agree. You asked me before about my favourite Bible verse, and it is John 10.10. 10. It's the, I come to give you life and life that overflows. And the, the image in the Greek, of course, is the, the, the cup that overflows. It just can't contain what Jesus is pouring in. So um, for me, that's what, that's what looking at a full, well-connected life is all about, that you are just brimming with uh, the excitement of life. So how did you get involved in Jesus? What when did Jesus become a thing for you? This may come as no surprise, but through sport. Um, sport is often an excuse. That's the beauty of sport. Um, and as a 13-year-old boy, I, I went on a, a canoe camp um, where, we, yes, where we paddled down the Mile River, um, just north of where I live. And our guest speaker for that week was, uh, was a really wild man. He, he came from the highlands of Papua New Guinea. His name was Bruce Crowther. You've probably never heard of him. That doesn't matter. I certainly remember him. And all through the week, he took us through various Bible stories and, and talked to us. And on the last night, sitting around a campfire, here is this man who never combed his hair, had this massive beard, ate with his hands, was just the wildest thing I'd ever seen. He said, you know, Jesus Christ is the greatest liar, deceiver, and the cruelest figure in human history. And I thought, wow, that can't be right. And he said, or else he is who he said he was and he is the son of God. And for me, that became that, that moment where I went, that's what he is and that's who he is and that's who I want to follow. And then about 10 years later, at a sports camp where I was a leader this time, um, it was being run by a group of guys from an organisation called Cornerstone, which is a fairly radical, fundamental uh, Christian training organisation in, uh, in New South Wales. And uh, the guys there, a guy called Mal Potts and another guy called um, Paul Rowe, two guys that I really admire, they just challenged me, can you play cricket as Jesus would have played cricket? And Paul Rowe and I went body surfing. And he said to me before we got in the surf, he said, can we body surf like Christians? And I went, wow, that's a great question. And that got me thinking about where does my faith and where does my sport intersect? Because if they're two separate things, then I'm not living a genuine life. So I then began that path of considering how does, how does my faith and my sport intersect? And better than that, how do they live together? So with that as a lead-in... Oh, and as an aside, um, in... February, late February, we're starting a series working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the things one of the commentators keeps banging on about is Jesus is really interested in us having an undivided heart. Yeah. Yep, which is the sense of wholeness, all of us. So what does that look like for you who, you like cricket, yes? Mm. Love it. Yeah, love it? Why do you love it? What does it mean to be a Christian cricket player as opposed to any other? Does it mean I don't sledge? It, it means that I, when I played, um, yeah, thank you. That is often... Had to happen, didn't it? It New did, Zealand. it did. Apologies. You had to say it um, and indicate it. But look, uh, it, it means that I like being a Christian anyway. I think you care for the people beside you. It's as simple as that. Um, as a player, I learned that it was not a good witness to sledge using bad language. But I would certainly tell the batsman what I thought of him and I would try and be creative and I would try and be funny because my theory is at the moment the batsman engaged with me as a bowler, I'd broken their concentration. 
Um, and so that's what I was seeking to do because I wanted him to not be concentrating on what he was meant to be doing and listening to me and what I was saying to him and what I was suggesting to him and what we were laughing about. Um, there's only one guy that I know who I, we just gave the silent treatment to and it drove him nuts. But um, by and large, uh, so, but it's about, but in terms of my own teammates and in terms of the guys I played against, which is a long time ago now, it was always about caring for them. And now as a coach um, and someone operating off the playing field, it is, it's always about caring. Mm. And your role here, you've not been the coach here, have you? No. So... Tell me about the, the context of caring and what that's about. Coming into Canterbury, um, Gary Stead, who is the, the Director of Coaching at Canterbury, uh, he approached me about May of this year to consider this wellbeing role, May of last year, to consider this wellbeing role. And uh, so I did some research and we had a few email conversations and a couple of Skype chats. Then when I arrived and we had a, some face-to-face -face time together, he said, look, what I want is for everyone at Canterbury to be cared for. And that was my parameter. He said, "Just let's see if we can make that happen. So we then began to, I began to talk to people, talk to players, their partners, past players, people in the office, and just hear from them what, what their concerns were and hear from them what they loved about playing or working for Canterbury. And then we just looked at ways at caring for them. So, for example, um, with the players, it's been about being in the change room. Uh, and making sure they've got plenty to drink, uh, making sure their drinks are always cold, that they've got plenty of food, that they've got plenty of chewing gum. Uh, and that then leads into conversations. Um, and those conversations might be around a strained marriage relationship that we've, we've had in the team. It may be around a player who's got some court time coming up next week. It may be around a bereavement that's happened in the family. It may be around the tensions they feel about their game and their either success or lack of success. Um, all those kinds of things. All these things simply become connections into lives and the ability then to have a chat, but then also to talk with their partners um, and uh, run functions where the girls can get together and talk. Because as I said to the girls, you're a unique bunch of women because there's only 15 contracted players at first class level here in Canterbury. There's only X number of partners, therefore, who know the experience of being the wife of a first-class cricketer. So getting, giving them the opportunity to work together and get to know each other and network around that and, and acknowledging past players and what they've done. So that's and how we've shown There's care. a series of dynamics for professional players now, aren't there, in that you, you have a window in which you can be paid for this. And that might stop tomorrow, or you might have five, ten years, but probably not much more than that. Is that? Oh, it's very, very true. Uh, I, I, part of my preparation in coming over here was to talk with the Newcastle Knights player development manager. And in the rugby league, in the National Rugby League, which of course the Auckland Warriors are a part of, for good or ill. Um, <laughs> it's all right. I'm from Newcastle. We've won the wooden spoon three years in a row. I can say what I like. Um, <laughs> But uh, the, he said to me, we no longer talk about a plan B. You know, in the, in the good old days, we talk about, well, what's your plan B? Um, there is no plan B. It's what's the next stage of your life? Because this is a window. Your, your time as a professional sportsman or woman, as a case may be, is a short time. It's a little window of your life. Let's enjoy it now. And as he was saying, as a, as a man involved with rugby league, your professional career can end tonight at training. 
You can, you can blow an ACL, you can, you know, damage your spine like Alex McKinnon did in a game in, New in playing in Melbourne a couple of years ago. Your career can end tonight. And it's the same with, uh, with cricketers. You know, you can get a, a broken finger, you can blow an ACL, you can get a blow to the head and your career is over today. Um, so we need to prepare our players for life beyond that and to see that this is a sweet spot that you are in, that this is not who you are, you are not defined by your sporting performance, you are defined by your character and your personality, and that's really important. Now, I asked you uh, up to speak because I was interested in how your faith connected with your love of sport. And in part, that's for all of us. There are things that we just love and can't necessarily explain why, although it's, we can spend a lot of time trying. Um, but how, how, where do you go? Where did you, as you were thinking about this, where did you go to? What leapt out at you? What leapt out at me was a phrase that Darren Lehman, the current Australian cricket coach, used in his book called Coach. Um, very attractive fellow. Um, <laughs> His nickname, his nickname is Bulf, and you can probably see why. Um, but in this particular, in this particular biography, uh, he was talking with the Australian uh, psychologist, team psychologist, a couple of years ago, and the psych said to him, um, what is it, uh, how would you describe your relationship with your players and your staff? And, he, and Darren Lehman simply said, I love them. And we went, oh, that's interesting. And when I read that, I thought, wow, that's, that's a really interesting comment from a guy who I didn't think would say that. So I then thought, well, what does that mean? And so I went then to Corinthians 13 in my own philosophical, theological framework to describe and to get a, and a description of what love is. So I took that comment of Lehman's and I looked at Corinthians 13 and then I thought, well, there's the framework of what love is. How can I put that into practice? So I can then go to Galatians 5, which is the fruits of the Spirit, which many of you would know. Um, and for me, and, and I actually carry a little book with me, my leadership book, in which I write um, things that I read that I think are important or I write down observations of people or things that I experience about leadership. And in that, I've written the fruits of the Spirit. And beside it, I've written a note to myself is, can I coach like this? Um, or can I engage with players like this, but principally as a coach? So for me, it's, it's the fruits of the Spirit. Can I, in my interactions with players um, on whatever level, whether it's junior level or first-class professional cricketers, um, can I interact with them like the fruits of the Spirit? Which is actually, should we just, it's up on the screen now. Can we just read it out for a moment? Sure. Um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, joy Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law. That is critical for me. There is no law against it. Um, coming into an organisation like Canterbury where they said we want everyone cared for, I said what's the framework? They said you make it up. That's the there is no law part that there is no law that will ever stop you from showing love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control because they're good things. Um, and that's what I try and show. I can remember um, hearing a couple of theologians talking about basketball and they talked about um, the phrase a managed game. Do you, have you heard managed game? They use it to describe where a ref is having to constantly um, interrupt the, the movement of play because there's nasty stuff happening on the, uh, the board. So lots of sledging, lots of kind of whatever the basketball equivalent of that is. They said, when 
when a game goes bad, so when you see the opposite to this, then the refs have to stop everything, you know, and send this person off. And he said, that makes for a terrible game to play and a terrible game to watch. He said, the best game is a game where the ref doesn't have to do anything because people are playing well. And I think there's some yeah. connection in there. And, and I'll give you three examples of that. Wayne Bennett, who is a, a well-known rugby league referee and man manager, um, in his rugby league teams that he's coached, and he's coached quite a few, he says, there are no rules. There's only trust. I trust you to do what's best for the team. Justin Langer, who will probably be the next Australian cricket coach who works in Western Australia and works with the Perth Scorchers, he has no rules. Trust the players. And at Canterbury, Gary's experimenting with this notion of team first. And we talked the other night about this and just talked about what does team first actually mean? And when you have team first really working in a team or an organisation, you don't need rules. Because if everything that you do is for the benefit of the goal or the team to reach that goal, then rules become unnecessary. There is no law because everyone is working for the, what is best for everyone and for the team. I wonder um, if the place of... One of the things we love about sport is that it's, it's got this limits around it. So you're on the playing field for a certain length of time and then you know the game finishes and there's a result. Cricket accepted. Um, oh, come on, you could have reacted to that. <laughs> um, well, no, you're right, but I've seen some very exciting draws. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, <laughs> the, the fact that then... But you know that it's going to end. So you can try all the stuff, but you walk away afterwards and that's great and we could do it again. Whereas a lot of the rest of our lives isn't like that. Yeah. You go to your job and actually you're doing it for a longer period of time yeah. and there's no clear, obvious, okay, it's it, you know, done thing. Yeah, I think the nature of sport is that it is often a microcosm of life. Um, it's life in miniature. Um, but I think within sport, and that's why I, I'm such a uh, believer in the value of sport for young people and for older people, uh, is that it teaches us lessons that are transferable and they're lessons that are tangible. Um, and I think that's really important. And that's, that's where, in that little microcosm of a Saturday afternoon cricket match, I actually learn about getting on with people and I learn about resilience and I learn about how to win well and lose graciously um, and all those kinds of things that are lessons of life. The, um, it, it's been, in my time working as a minister, we've sent a few people overseas to do short or longer-term mission trips, and sport is often the way a younger person can connect with a whole bunch of young people. Absolutely. So um, one person of note for me, we had uh, Natalie Wiggersma, who was a Commonwealth um, swimmer and swam in the Olympics, and all she did in the first, uh, I don't know, 20 years of her life is swim. She never, had a, never went to a late-night party, because she, she was always swimming at 5 o'clock in the morning the next day. She kind of missed out all these things, yeah. And then when she stopped, she said, that's it, I don't want to have anything more to do with it. And I remember talking with her and saying, no, no, God will use this. And then she, we sent her off to Africa to spend some time, and what happens? She ends up using her love of sport to connect with lots of people. 
there's a young man here in Christchurch, or was he's now in London, but a Christ College boy called Alex Rees. Uh, and at 22, he began a, an organisation called Cricket Live. Um, he has uh, now got centres in Sri Lanka and just opened one in Mumbai in India. I was over in his first uh, um, trip to Sri Lanka. And he uses cricket as a vehicle to improve the lives of underprivileged boys and girls um, in Sri Lanka in uh, Moratua, south of Colombo, and now also in Mumbai in India. He uses sport, and, and his view is that he would like to have rugby live, soccer live, badminton live. Wherever there is a dominant sport, if he was to do it in New Zealand, it'd be rugby. Um, or maybe the pursuit of women, I'm not quite sure. But, um, <laughs> but it, would be, it would be rugby live. You know, if, he go, if he goes into Central America, it'd be soccer live. Soccer becomes the excuse. Cricket becomes the excuse to deal with life issues. And I think that's, that's where sport um, is, a, is a wonderful vehicle into creating relationships and connections and having conversations with people. Now, there may be people here for whom sport is not a thing. It's like, really? They're talking about this again? And one of the questions you get asked in this is, what did the Bible have to say about whatever issue as a Christian? So ask me, what does the Bible have to say about sport? Colin, I've often wondered um, <laughs> what the Bible has to say about sport. Okay. First answer, not a lot. Okay. Uh, it's a, a bit of a cheeky thing to say, but actually what we think of sport really happened in about the 19th century when we started to have a, a middle class who had time, because before then you're working every day. And so it's not that you don't do sport. When I was in the Philippines, here you go, most common sp uh, uh, game I can see, catch. I'll throw it back. You know what it is? It's a stone in a plastic bag. And kids were playing that everywhere. So back to the Bible. It doesn't talk about it because what we think of sport, that wasn't around then. Yes, there was the Olympics, but the Olympics, you know, way back in the first set of Olympics, it wasn't for anyone to compete. It was only for the rich. It was only for the... Uh, so it was the, it was the, pardon the analogy, the Obamas and the Donald Trumps running in the race. In fact, in fact, Colin, in the Olympic Games, in the stadia, where they had the running race, which was the Blue Ribbon event... Yep. The judge sat three quarters of the way down the event because the winner who got the, the laurel wreath was not the one who crossed the line first, but the one that passed the judge with the most style. Are you serious? <laughs> okay, that's doing my head. <laughs> Um, and we have a slightly unfortunate thing with Christianity. There was a stage where the Puritans, were, they really wanted everybody to give their whole heart to God, which was really good, but they did come over as fun suckers. Absolutely. Yep, so that was don't play sport on a Sunday, don't, very big on the don'ts. When people go to the Bible to look at sport, they often will reference Jacob wrestling with an angel, David and Goliath, Jonathan's archery. There's one place in Helkath and Harrison, where they have this wrestling competition, um, it doesn't really qualify because at the end, the winners kill all the losers. I think once you've got to some decimation, we're not talking about sports so much. We're talking about something else. And then there is a reference where um, Paul talks about boxing and running for a prize. But I was interested because I went out trying to see what does it have to say. And there is something about sport that is actually really, really cool. When the Bible talks about play, one of the things it says is everything plays. The Leviathan, we're really not certain what a Leviathan is, 
closest we can think of as a whale. It plays, it says in Psalms. But whenever the Bible talks about the future, a good future, when everything is sorted, it references play. It describes once again, I think I've got that bigger, let's have a look. Here we go, Zechariah 8, 4 to 5. Once again, men and women of ripe old age, I'm working on that. How are you? On that. Yeah. Will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with a cane in their hand, because a cane in their hand because of their age. So there you go. When you get to the cane stage, embrace it. And I suspect also because um, the streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is their image of a good place to be, where there's an older generation enjoying the younger generation and they're playing. I'm imagining the cane is also so they can go, hey, stop that. Um, but. That's their image of goodness, of how it should be, which tells us that the Bible thinks that play, play is important for us, critical, something about us. So whatever it is that spins your wheels and gets you all bright-eyed, we actually want to say, yeah, actually, Jesus probably cares about that. Yep. And then your voice is to say, it matters how you do it. Oh, yes, um, but... But I know that Karen in her time here has come to the women's group, the craft group, on a Wednesday. Uh, for me, whether it's playing cricket or badminton or craft group on a Wednesday, they're all excuses. They're all excuses to make connections and then have those relationships and have those conversations. So at the heart of it, we're all doing the same thing. And I don't think you need to be a sports fan uh, to have conversations with people and have a reason to connect and an excuse to have a conversation. Now, you're heading back to Australia? When, when is that? Oh, thank you. Next Saturday night. And what would you be doing there? Uh, well, uh, Sunday we'll be getting sort of back and then I'll go to back to work on Monday. Work for me is as a senior secondary high school teacher, teaching English, ancient history and studies of religion. And uh, that kicks off with a week of staff development and then the kids are in just after that. Yep, and you're going to end up doing the same kind of things, trying to grow, as you do with a team, trying to grow classrooms where people are loving and respecting. Something that's kind of common to us. Oh, look, if if I was going back to the office tomorrow morning, I'd like to think that I was doing the same thing. Um, uh, I I think what's at the heart of it is the fruit of the spirit. And I, I happen to do that at the moment within a professional sports environment. Um, next week, I'll be doing it within an educational environment. But if I was working at Countdown or Pack and Save, I could be doing the same thing there, just within a different environment. Fantastic. So how about this? Would you pray for us just that God would gift us um, in terms of creating that kind of environment? And then we'll pray for you. And then I just want to see if we've got, got any kids who've um, drawn something would like to show us that. That sound all right, Pan? And then we're going to um, have, have a song to go with. So would you pray for us? Sure. Thank you. Uh, God and Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this community of believers here in Parkland. So I just want to pray that as, uh, as this as a community seeks to reach out to the community that surrounds it, that you will provide them with creative and uh, innovative ways of showing your love for everyone. And we just want to pray that um, uh, as the changes take place physically in this building, that they are their physical changes that reflect your love for people and that make conversations easy to be had. And we look forward to uh, hearing about that in the future. So in your name we pray. Amen. And as the, as the Taylor family returns to Australia, we pray that you would have a world of good works prepared for them to do. 
that this time would have been rich in planting things in your life, but you'd find further ways to follow your calling, doing things that you love, but showing people the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you. Hey, do we have any kids who'd like to show us uh, uh, any drawings? If you do, right, yes, no, yep, okay, come up. If you can just um, do the magical thing of swapping over to the Apple TV for a moment. Here we go. Oh, uh, yep, you have to hit the Apple TV. Um, it's Switchbox and then ATV. Okay, Isaac, hold it up. And Ruben, my apologies, Ruben. Hang on, I'll just... I, hang on, I'm just... I, I, yeah, no, it should be working. Yep, we're going now. Here we go. This was try. Okay, tell us about your picture. If you want to, if you want to see, you can, you can see that people can see you. Um. Oh, that's so distracting, isn't it? Fantastic. Have you been to see wheelchair rugby? Once. Once. Is Kelly here? No. no we'll make sure we tell Kelly. Yep. She knows. What have you got here? Mine's trampolining and like, I like it because you like thrill and bowl. Fantastic. Anyone else? Here we go. <laughs> You're going to the live demonstration, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic, thanks guys. Hey, can we have the team back? Um, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, if I could just add, um, as the team comes up, um, thank you. Um, pray for your uh, elite sports people, people in high performance sport. They live in a rarefied environment. Uh, your Crusaders, your ITM or your Mitre 10 Cup guys and girls, um, your swimmers, your trampoliners, your cricketers, whatever, whatever form of high performance sport you're aware of. They live in a rarefied environment where so often their worth can be equated to the gold medals they win or the runs they score or the goals they kick or whatever it might be. Um, and yet beneath that they are human beings who question uh, their reason for living and, and why they do what they do. Um, we often put them on pedestals and very often that's the last place they want to be. And then when they do something very, very human, we tear them down and make, and make object lessons of them. Highly unfair. Um, so pre, please pray for your um, high-performance sports people. I know that there is a chaplaincy organisation here in New Zealand who are always after people who will volunteer as chaplains um, within whatever sport floats your boat. It might even be yachting. So... If, um, if you get the chance to do some training in that and you don't need to be um, a representative high-performance sports person yourself, you can still get involved. So that would be my request of you. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks, Colin and Steve. That was awesome. Um, if you would like to stand to your feet, we've got one last song. Um,